True Spirituality Part 12 Substantial Healing in Personal Relationships Everything that concerns personality, being a person, specifically when it comes to the elements of love and communication within our relationships, stems from the fact that God is a personal God. The Christian system of thought and life begins with a God who is infinite yet personal. That's why personality is valid and central in the universe and is not just a matter of chance or merely an illusion. Another way to view this is that mind preceded matter with God as an infinitely powerful person who created the cosmos and us for a purpose, and thus there is meaning attached to our existence and our lives in the universe. Throughout the Bible, it is clear that God deals with us, first of all, on the basis of what he himself is, and then on the basis of what he has made us. He is a perfectly just, holy, loving, personal God, and we are created as those who are to know, love, and follow after him as our creator and Lord. He always deals with us on the basis of a personal relationship, person to person. And because he is infinite, he can deal with each one of us individually as though each one was the only person who exists. We also find in the Bible that God's dealing with human beings is never mechanical. The teachings of Jesus and the apostles are very clear in that even things such as our observances of the Lord's Supper, which some refer to as communion, and baptism, and practicing the spiritual disciplines of reading, studying, and meditating on the scriptures, prayer, and being involved in a local gathering of fellow believers are not mechanical in the sense that they themselves are the means to acceptance by God. These elements, though very important, are reflections of the reality that one is in a personal relationship with the God who is there and lead to a deepening of that relationship. Just as a husband enhances his marriage relationship to his wife and friends deepen their friendships by practicing certain things that lead to relational flourishing. Neither is God's dealing with us primarily legal, though there are proper legal aspects to it which are founded and rooted in God's own character. God has a character, and that character is the law of the universe, total and complete. When a person sins, he breaks that law, and because the law is broken, he is guilty, and God must deal with us in this proper legal relationship. As sinners, we must be justified before we can have a place in a relationship with God as an adopted child, granted all the rights and favors of being so. But though God does deal with us in the proper legal relationship, the main way he deals with us is personally. So even though in this part we are tackling true spirituality in relation to the problem of my separation from other people, it all traces back to our separation from the first other, God. And since God always deals with man on the basis of what God is and what we are, we have to do the same in regard to our thoughts about and in our dealings with him. Our relationship with God as a person must never be thought of as mechanical or merely legal. 
Our relationship with God after we have become a Christian must always be centrally a person-to-person relationship, loving Heavenly Father to loved image bearer who is now his adopted child. Of course, we must always bear in mind that he is the creator and we are creatures, so our thoughts and acts toward God have to be with the creature-creator relationship in mind. But this doesn't alter the person-to-person nature of the relationship. His command is to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which means he is satisfied with nothing less than my loving and trusting him completely, and this because he loved me first and proved it by sending his son to make the relationship possible. So I am not called to be merely justified as in a purely legal relationship. We were created to be in a deeply personal fellowship with God, loving him and experiencing his love in real ways. Prayer is always to be seen as a person-to-person communication and not just some devotional exercise. Now we turn to relationships with other people who are also image bearers. So although our relationships with others is on an equal-to-equal basis and not creature-to-creator, still it should be personal and not mechanical nor primarily legal, although there will be proper legal relationships, including some that are hierarchical between human beings. However, on the grandest scale, the Bible is explicit that humanity is divided into only two classes, those who have accepted Christ as Savior and those who have not. But this must not obscure the Bible's teaching that we are to relate to all people and not just fellow believers on a personal level, which is the very basis for granting intrinsic dignity, worth, and respect to everyone with whom we are in contact. I am to love my neighbor, every person, as myself. That is a non-negotiable command and teaching Jesus presents to us by both word and example. All of this underscores the idea that foremost in our thinking must be God and our relationship to Him, and not just things about Him. The same must be true in our thinking of other people. So our relationships to God and other people cannot be anything other than as individuals relating to one another in love and communication. The command is to love him, not just to think about or do things for him. First, it is the loving, then it is the doing flowing from that love, and this in both our relationships with God and other people. That said, we are not to stop with what is the proper legal relationship. For example, we are not to think of an unbelieving loved one as legally lost in the sight of a holy God without also thinking of him as a person. Humanity's problem stems from having put ourselves rather than God at the center of the universe. This is the essence of humanity's rebellion against God, which leads to the tendency to turn inward instead of outward. God is himself the ultimate integration point of the universe. This fits who and what God is since he is a being existing as a loving community of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing as a complex unity. 
God is the self-existent center of all things, as within his very being is communion, communication, and love. But when a person turns inward, there is no one with whom to commune. This leads to an empty solitude that is tragic since by himself he is inadequate and there is no one there to answer. This not only leads to psychological and emotional problems, but can destroy relationships with others. On the other hand, when I begin to think and act as the creature God created me to be, then I can turn outward and relate to others as equals. Once I accept myself as an equal to other people who are themselves God's image bearers, I can relate to them in the circle in which we are all created, and I don't have to make communication with myself central. But it is also essential that I relate to them as those who, like me, are not perfect. We are all sinners. We have all missed the target in terms of what is the human ideal. The problem with most human relationships is the lack of recognition that everyone is sinful and in need of reconciliation with the prime other, which often results in people hanging too much on personal relationships and they crumble. The Bible teaches that no human relationship is going to be finally sufficient in the sense of meeting all the needs a person experiences as the communal beings we were created to be. The finally sufficient relationship must be with God himself, and this comes as we respond in faith to the finished work of Christ on the cross by putting our trust in him and being reborn through the work of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we have this relationship, and so our human relationships can be powerful and strong without being the finally sufficient thing they cannot be. And also as Christians, we acknowledge that because of our struggle with sin, which is an enduring reality because of the fall, we are not perfect in this life and do not need to cast off every personal relationship, marriage, friendships, professional or community-based associations, just because they aren't perfect. On the basis of the finished work of Christ, it is possible, once I have taken hold of this, to begin understanding that my relationships can be substantially healed in the present life. When two Christians experience a rough patch in their relationship, they can come hand in hand and bring their failures under the blood of Christ and get back on track to continue pressing on. This can apply to every other relationship. Another important point to take into consideration here is that the Christian is to be a demonstration of the existence of God and the power of the risen Savior. And Jesus taught very clearly that the chief way this is demonstrated and becomes a reality is when we love one another. He said, as recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. 
starting within the household, the family of the church, the love Christians have for one another should be evidence that a personal, loving God exists and that following Jesus Christ as the risen and now ruling King leads to expressions of what real love calls for and produces. Forgiveness, cooperation, humility, and others first mentality, patience, and the willingness to help, especially when it costs you dearly. That's what should and will be the case when believers in Jesus join together and make it their primary aim, individually and collectively, to walk in the manner of Christ. Of course, the best of men are men at best, so many who profess to be Christians or claim loyalty to a particular tradition falling under the heading of Christianity fail to do this, which is a tragedy in that it brings disrepute to the name of Jesus Christ. Anyone claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ as he has been revealed in the teachings of the Bible must show evidence of the willingness to bow in their intellect and in their will, which takes shape in a life that will, over time, more and more reflect Jesus' teachings and example to love God with your complete self and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. This does not come naturally to the human, and we will all stumble no matter how long we have been at it. But those truly seeking after and following Jesus Christ are ever at war with the impulses that drive us into selfishness and pride and will, as we submit to the work of the Holy Spirit within us, bear the fruit of one connected to the very source of love and virtue by being better able to embody love and virtue. If there is no demonstration in our attitude toward other men that we really take seriously the person-to-person relationship that starts with a person's relationship with a personal creator God, we might as well not spend too much time talking about why it's true that he exists and that Jesus Christ is the only way by which a person can know and be known by him. There must be a demonstration. That is our calling to show that there is a reality in personal relationship and not just words about it. And as we've talked about throughout this series, the God of Christian teaching is not an abstraction, not a philosophical framework. God is a loving community of three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Christian and the church as a whole is to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to bring his fruit out into the world through us as a demonstration in the area of personal relationships. So when I think and behave as a creature whose relationship with God is primary, that flows into my relationships with other people, and I can give and take from a human relationship what God meant it to provide, which leads to well-being for me and everyone I come into contact with, no matter how closely related. If I fail in this area, or if the church as a collective fails, we cannot expect the world to believe that there is really anything to Christianity's truth claims. As Christians, we are to teach 
stand up for, proclaim, and remain firm in the area of proper beliefs that align with God's revelation to us in the words of the scriptures. The gospel features content in the form of very clear, very exclusive truth claims. On these, we cannot compromise or dilute since that would make our message something other than the gospel. But in the very midst of the battle for the proper teaching and against false teaching, we must not forget that conducting ourselves properly within these personal relationships is our witness to the world and even other Christians, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he rose from the dead, and that he lives now. Those are the stakes. So it is not wrong to be right, but it is wrong to have the wrong attitude in being right, and to forget that my relationship with my neighbor must always be deeply personal, image-bearer to image-bearer. If I really love my neighbor as myself, I will desire to see him be what he could be on the basis of Christ's work, for that is what I want or I should want for myself. It's important to note that the Bible does teach that there are to be aspects of personal relationships that include legal frameworks and hierarchies. This extends to relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, employee and employer, citizen to the state, and even those within the church. In all of these, the relationship has a personal dimension that provides order to a world that is subject to the disorder and chaos that sin brings about. The call for the Christian is to engage in all of these to the glory of God by consciously allowing the Bible to speak and then govern my thinking and behaving in these various contexts. And what the Bible teaches is that I have no intrinsic authority in myself. I am an equal creature with every other person regardless of my location within the legal framework or hierarchical structure at home, work, in the community, in the church, or in the public domain. The teachings and examples of Christ and the apostles compel me to love the person standing before me in a person-to-person, image-bearer-to-image-bearer relationship. And this concept almost always involves some cost because we live in a fallen world and we ourselves are fallen. We are to subordinate our ego to the call of Christ to love God with everything and love our neighbors as ourselves. And this is not cost-free. So now we have to address what to do when someone has been wounded by my sin, by my flaws. The Bible teaches that the shed blood of Christ is enough to cleanse me of the moral guilt for my sin, which is ultimately against God. When I hurt the person, I sin against God. But we have to keep in mind that because a person has been made in the image of God, he or she has true value. And this must be important to me, not just as a concept, but in my practice and demonstration. The person as God's image bearer is true of everyone, not just the Christian. This means that whenever I in sin hurt another person, the Bible's answer is clear. Make it right with the person you hurt. 
This is a non-negotiable element of being in relationship with God. We cannot expect to have a powerful, intimate, robust relationship with God and trample on our human relationships. That is not possible. You can't be right in the vertical relationship and off the rails in the horizontal ones. Another way to put it is that the true sign of being in the proper relationship with God is relating to other people in the manner taught and exemplified by the teachings of Christ and the apostles. This may involve confession of faults to one another, the willingness to take the heat, be inconvenienced, and make amends no matter how costly. If I am living in a real relationship with God, my human relationships become more important as I see the real value of a person, but less important in the sense that I no longer need to be God in these relationships. So now I can go up to someone and say, my bad, I own it. I am so sorry for what I did or said without smashing the integration point of my universe because it is no longer myself, but God. God is the integration point for all things. This is not only right and pleasing to God as it demonstrates the qualities he expects of those who submit to his call to love our neighbor, but makes things better in all the dimensions of living as the social creatures we are. Followers of Jesus are called to demonstrate love and communication in all relationships, but doing so in the areas of family and in the church, which is also a family, are worth highlighting. If there is no clear demonstration in these two areas, the world can conclude that Christian orthodoxy, doctrine and theology, is nothing but dead, cold words. In a naturalistically oriented age, people can try to explain away individual results in a Christian life, such as a disciplined life approach, calmness in the midst of storms, etc. But Christ-like love and communication between Christians adds a dimension that is not easily explained away. The totality of the unified Christian teaching that emerges from the Bible spells out how God placed certain legal strictures upon humanity in terms of our relationships that provide a framework for order in the midst of a fallen world. So as woman and man stand face to face as equals with each other as creatures, image bearers, the man has an office in the home, as does the woman. But marriage as a picture of Christ and his church, which the Apostle Paul writes about in his letter to the Ephesians, shows that it is not merely a legal thing. There is to be a mutual love between husband and wife in their respective offices that derives from the communion Christ has with his bride, the church. Since human marriage is meant to be a picture of that tremendous union, then there should be a demonstration of that Holy Spirit-infused love, joy, and harmony in our marriages and in our gatherings as a church. But again, we are finite and therefore do not expect to find final sufficiency in any human relationship, including marriage. The final sufficiency is to be found only in a relationship to God, 
but on the basis of the finished work of Christ through the agency of the Holy Spirit and the instrument of faith, there can be a real and substantial healing of relationships and thus true and lasting joy and contentment in them. As Christians, we understand something more. Not only are we finite as we were created, but since we are all sinners, we know that relationships will not be perfect. But on the basis of the finished work of Christ, human relationships can be substantially healed and can be joyous. Christianity offers the only complete and lasting answer to humanity's dilemma, which is that of separation from God leading to separation from self and other men. As we have spoken of in previous episodes, the driving force behind most broken relationships, including marriages that end in divorce, is that many are seeking in human relationships what they can never give. So often people seek from a romantic relationship the most perfectly exciting love affair of the century, but can't find it since it does not exist in any purely finite relationship. It is like trying to quench thirst by swallowing sand. If someone tries to find everything or complete satisfaction in a man-woman or friend-to-friend relationship, he destroys the very thing he wants and even harms the ones he loves. It's just too much pressure and they collapse under the weight of it all and the person as well as the relationship are harmed. But as Christians, our sufficiency of relationship is in that which God made it to be, in the infinite personal God on the basis of the work of Christ in communication and love in its ultimate form. Never try to obtain from good, finite things what only the ultimate infinite can provide. In earlier episodes, we have examined the Bible's emphasis upon the unity of the person, the unity of soul and the body as an integrated being. This is in stark contrast to the view that in essence says that we don't have bodies, but are bodies. As Christians, we are not to live with this separation by accepting the modern notion that we are only animals or machines whose thinking and behaving is ultimately chalked up to sets of biology-driven survival adaptations that are themselves reduced to atoms, our brains are made up of atoms, following the laws of quantum physics. The Bible teaches that we are personal beings created by a personal God for the purposes of inhabiting a personal universe in the manner best suited for us as his image bearers. And in communication between those who are in relationship, the body is the instrument such that what we hold in our hearts will ultimately materialize in things we do and or say. All of this is to be seen as a whole as a unity within the various circles God has set. And this extends to all human interactions. But sin has brought division that can lead to separation within a person, my body as distinct from my personality. God has a character and is holy and has established order within his creation. 
He also granted free agency to those he created, both human and non-human, with capacities to make decisions that have consequences, and there has been a rebellion that continues. We see the fallout all around and even within us. The finished work of Christ on the cross, the fruits of which are appropriated by faith and then to be lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the only remedy we have, and it is the remedy. Getting back to the witness of the church to an unbelieving world, consider what we read in the scriptures, that by our love for one another, others can see the presence and work of God in the midst of a dying world. The early church had a practical oneness, not just a theoretical unity. That's what we must be striving toward. One of the most important things we are to do as Christians, individually and as a body, as a collective, is to draw people into trusting and following Jesus Christ as risen Savior and ruling King. Part of that mission involves testifying as to what it is we believe. And we do that through the Orthodox Christian teachings and our manner of living in person-to-person relationships. We believe that we, the entire human race, are creatures made in God's image to know Him, love Him, and live in accordance with His plan. And even when we become Christians, we will not be perfect in this life, but through moment-by-moment faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, beautiful human relationships can and do materialize. There must be doctrinal orthodoxy, right beliefs, beliefs that align with what the Bible teaches. But there also must be practice of those doctrines applied in our relationships with other people. This is the Christian life. This is true spirituality. Spirituality.